Yeah, give it up for Dave and Robin Casey. Appreciate those guys so much. They're in a house somewhere. Appreciate you guys so much, Shannon. Appreciate you guys so much. There they are. Hey, Robin, good to see you. David, of course, is our facilities director here uh, at the bridge, and uh, the Casey's have been part of the church family, Shannon and David Allen, for 22 years, I think. Uh, and so we just appreciate them so much sharing a piece of their story. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but in the 2002 Winter Olympics was one of the most controversial stories that has ever come out of the Olympics. Maybe some of you remember it. The, the Russians uh, were good, the figure skaters. They came out and did a good program, but there were some little flubs here and there. And then the Canadians came out and did an absolutely flawless performance. Everybody knew it was flawless. But at the end of the day, the Russians got the gold instead. Do you remember that? Later on, there was a big thing in the news, and, and the French judge finally admitted that she was pressured before the event to give the, the gold to the Russians before the event ever happened. Later on, she recanted that, so she wasn't pressured in time. It just got such a big deal that they wound up, it's the only time in the history of the Olympics, they wound up giving two sets of golds because they didn't know what else to do to honor the Canadians who did so well. The problem, understand, wasn't that, that they didn't know who earned the gold. It, the problem is that they prejudged who was going to get the gold based on something that had nothing to do with their performance. Just let that resonate in your mind for just a minute. You see, making judgments are fine. I mean, it's the judge's job, right? I mean, they're supposed to go out there and watch it and buy some some equitable criteria. They're supposed to come up with who's first place, second place, third place, that kind of stuff. You may disagree with their conclusions, but at the end of the day, we accept them as long as it's based on the actual performance and not decided before the performance ever happens. I don't know if this is resonating with you or not, but I hope it is. We're kicking off a whole new series that we're calling I Am the Bridge, i.e. the church has left the building. And what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks is this simple idea that the bridge is, is not a building at 188 Whitley Church Road, Princeton, North Carolina, or Mount Olive, or Goldsboro, or Smithfield, or wherever the bridge happens to meet on Sunday mornings and other activities and events. That's, that's not what the bridge is. The bridge is not a building. That's where the bridge meets. The bridge is not singing songs and having fellowship and hearing fabulous, world-class, wonderful sermons. <laughs> Didn't get a single amen. Thought I'd get an amen out of that somewhere. That's what we do when we meet, but that's not who we are. The bridge, according to Scripture, is a church... And the church is the ecclesia that means the called out ones, the, the people of God. In other words, the bridge, the church, is not an event, it's not a place, it's a people. So bottom line, I am the bridge. Say it with me, I am the bridge. Look at somebody and say, you are the bridge. Go ahead and look at somebody and say, you are the bridge. Are, don't look at me, look at somebody else. You are the bridge. Now look at somebody else and say, we are the bridge. Can we do it one more time? I am the bridge. Look at somebody. You are the bridge. Look at somebody else. We are the bridge. The question becomes, what are we the bridge to? Because bridges are not an end in themselves. They're a conveyance, right? They get you from one place to another. And so the question really becomes to, to, to what are we the bridge 
to, and the answer is, we are the bridge to a hurting world desperate for Jesus. We are the bridge, come on, we are the bridge to a hurting world desperate for Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what that means. What does that look like in several particular areas? Each week, we'll take a different topic, and, and I'm excited about it. I've got to be honest with you. I'm just really f- fired up about this series because I really think it defines who we have been for a very long time as a church, and I believe it'll catapult us into the next season until Jesus comes as a church. And so I want you to lean into this one, whether you're in person or online, lean into this one. And let's deal with it together. Let's be the bridge. And get away from that. Y'all come to church and let's just go be the church. Okay? Today we're talking about, as you can imagine from my opening comments and from Robin and David's testimony and interview with us, we're talking about I am the bridge to racial reconciliation. I am the bridge to racial reconciliation. We're going to be talking about that issue for just a little bit. And I know that there are some people who will say, you know, we're past that stuff. We, you know, that's, all that stuff's over. And the reality is that we live in a world that's still filled with all kinds of prejudice. Am I right? We are. I mean, let's, let's start with a definition, just a working definition of prejudice. What is it? We put it up on the screens. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Prejudice is the process of prejudging and forming an opinion before the facts are known. Prejudice is simply to making a decision based on some limited, superficial, external evidence and then deciding everything that you want to know about that person, that event, that time. And again, some people think we're past all of that stuff, uh, but let's be honest, it's incredibly tempting to do that. It's easier to stick your head in the sand and pretend that you already know everything you need to know than it is to go learn what you don't know. I got two amens. Again, some people would say that, uh, that, that you've been the brunt of this. Some of you have been the purveyors of this. But all of us have baggage based on preconceived judgments, prejudgments, prejudices that were passed on to us, quite frankly, whatever your background happens to be. So before we get into what are we going to do to be the bridge to racial reconciliation, I just want to make sure that, that, that we're on the same page, that you understand where I'm coming from this morning. I'm going to say we're all dealing with this. This is reality for us. I want to identify just a few, just quickly, as uh, quick as I can, just to make sure that we understand what we're saying. Uh, we, we're all... Uh, in the throes of this thing called prejudice in our society. You tell me whether it still exists, either in the nation or in your heart. You can sit real still if you want to, but, but let, you tell me if it's true. Does socioeconomic prejudice still exist? Yeah. Uh, James, of course, talked about that very clearly uh, in his book, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. He goes on to describe a rich man came into the church and was given a seat of preference and treated royally. And a poor man came in and said, you stand there and was ignored. And he he says in verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, what's the word? You sin. In other words, he's saying it's not just a bad idea. It's an idea that breaks the heart of God. Because sin ultimately breaks the heart of 
God. And you might say, well, you know, I would never do that, Jim. So, okay, great. So on the way home uh, from church today or when you're out, out and about, you that are online, you're out and about somewhere and you pull up to an intersection and a car pulls up beside you <coughs> and the person in that car is, is half your age and, uh, and is dressed to the nines and is wearing all kinds of expensive jewels and, and diamonds and the car that they're driving is... Uh, is uh, it's worth twice your annual salary, and the music is blaring, so the point that it's rocking your windows, you are not going to think that's a drug dealer. You're just not going to decide that's a drug dealer, right? You're not going to do that, because we don't have to deal with this stuff, right? Right. Okay, got it. Oh, just be sure. Okay. How about racial prejudice? Does that still exist? Again, I know there's some that say we haven't made any progress since the Civil War, and others say that we're past all of that, but let's be honest, if you were white, if you're white, then you probably grew up in a culture that showed distrust or even animosity toward blacks and browns. And if you're black, you probably grew up in a culture that, that told you not to trust white people because they ultimately will abuse you or, or misuse you at the very least, boss you around at the very least. And, and if you've ever shopped at Spence Walmart, you wish you spoke Spanish. I mean, that's just kind of, because you know, I don't know what's going on around here. The truth is that a lot of what we know, let me change that. A lot of what we think we know about other races and ethnicities came to us from people who thought they, know, they knew too, and they were wrong. We can't prejudge and ever get past this. How about intellectual prejudice? Is that real? Is that still around? Yeah, well-educated folks tend to look down on people with less education and, and, and uneducated folks called uh, intellectuals eggheads. You know, it's kind of the way it is. Kim and I lived in Virginia for a lot of years, and, and one of the things we chafed at very quickly is that, is that a lot of Virginians, we got a lot of friends in Virginia, many of whom are watching our online services, so I don't want to offend anybody, but many of them tend to think of Virginia as being better than Carolina, they called it. They didn't even have the grace to separate North Carolina and South Carolina. They just said Carolina, and they would talk down to Carolina. They, they could have at least separated it because you know North Carolina is smarter than South Carolina. Come on. <laughs> the people who go to state are just as smart as the people who go to Carolina. I mean, come on, there's no difference. I thought I'd lose control of the room on that one. Wouldn't even talk about Duke. <laughs> How about gender prejudice? Does that exist? You let a man in the business world make a tough decision that moves the company forward, and what is he called? He's called a hard-hitting but fair man who makes the decisions that need to be made. Let a woman do the same thing, and what is she called? You can't use that word in church. <laughs> Not to mention the innuendo that she got the promotion by some means other than doing what she was supposed to do in her job. How about age prejudice? Does that exist? Yeah. Doctor comes in to brief you before he does his op the operation on you, and you look at him and say, you don't look old enough to operate machinery, much less operate on me. What are you, 16 years old? Roll your eyes. No, they sure is. I could list more, but I think you're getting the point of what I'm saying. Uh, whatever form it takes, I like what Dr. Norman uh, Pert that I met several years ago wrote a wonderful book on the subject. Uh, here's what he says. As subtle as it may be, when you make a decision about the value or significance about a person you don't know, without the facts, for whatever the external reason is, 
The Bible calls it prejudice. And to God, it's a very big deal. Do you know why it's such a big deal? Do you know why? It's not just with the tensions in the nation or uh, those kind of cultural things that happen. Do you know why it's such a big deal? Because the common thread of every example that I've listed for you this morning and could have listed many, many more is in every case, it's a matter of thinking of myself better than thinking of others, which is the exact opposite of what the Bible tells us we're supposed to live like. Philippians chapter 2, Pastor Luke shared it with us last week, verses 4 and 5. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Hear me, guys. The closer we get to that, the closer we'll come to breaking the back of prejudice in the world. But if the body of Christ doesn't do it, it won't happen. It won't happen. So in the few minutes that I still have with you, I want to talk just a, a little bit. I want to share with you four things that I think are involved in, in having the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Four things that he modeled for us, shared for us, that we need to adopt, we need to embrace, we need to accept in order to begin to break the back of these things in our own lives and ultimately to become the bridge to racial reconciliation. Four simple things. Number one, we've got to learn from Jesus' example. We need not just listen to his words. We can actually watch his life and learn from his example. There's plenty of them, but let me just give you two right quick. One is that Jesus was born into a multi-ethnic lineage. It still amazes me when I hear Christians talk about this idea that the Bible prohibits multi-ethnic marriage. It just blows me away. It's one of the reasons that I wanted Dave and Robin to share that video with us, and we appreciate so much their willingness to do that, is, uh, is I just want to be clear about this thing. The Bible doesn't say that. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, 2, and 3, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittite, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites and stalagmites and stalactites and gazuntites and all them ites and what does it say? Do not intermarry with them. And people will read that and say, see what the Bible says? You, you can't marry outside of your race. You see, he said, don't do that. That seems clear to me. Well, it is when you read the whole passage. What does verse 4 say? for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. He's not talking about interracial, uh, interracial marriage. He's talking about intermarriage with other beliefs. He's talking about people that, that have a different belief system who don't recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. He, he's saying don't be unequally yoked. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. So what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? He's not talking about race in that passage. He's talking about faith plenty of examples of interracial marriage in scripture. Moses was married to an Ethiopian lady. Exodus 18, it's clear that she and her father's house served God. And that's what made their marriage legitimate in the eyes of God. And if you're wondering whether that was okay or not, when Miriam grumbled about it, he struck her with leprosy. So you want to keep that attitude, good luck. <laughs> Book of Ruth is about a Moabite who married a Jew. 
Love the book of Ruth, Luke 1, 16 from the message. Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Wherever you go, I go. And where you live, I'll live. And you are my people and your God is my God. Chapter 4 goes on to say that, that she did marry and they had a son. His name was Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David, who is in the lineage of Jesus. Hear me, the bottom line about intermarriage is not whether you come from the same past, it's whether you're headed to the same future, and that's based on whether you have the same faith. And for you that are single out there who say, I'll change him later, I'll change her later, don't be so frivolous as to believe that's going to happen. Make sure that you date people who share your faith because you marry whom you date. I'm not going to marry everybody I date. No, you're going to marry somebody you dated. Make sure that you have the same future in eternity based on the same faith. But he didn't just show it in kind of his, his, his birth. He showed it in his ministry. I mean, just read through the Gospels. He described a Roman soldier that was hated by the Jews as having the most faith in Israel. He, he, he healed a Canaanite woman. He delivered a Gentile who was demon-possessed. He went to Samaria. We talked about her just a couple of weeks ago, and she became his number one evangelist. Went into town and said, let me let me tell you about a man that just told me all about my whole life. He cut across all these lines. Lots of other examples, but the evidence is clear. Jesus' example is not barrier builder. Jesus' example is bridge builder, which is why for us to be the bridge, more than just a slogan, I am the bridge, you are the bridge, we are the bridge, we first have to learn from Jesus' example and embrace it. The second thing I see in Scripture is that we have to accept Jesus' mission we have to accept Jesus' mission, and it's from what we call the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. What's our mission? What does it say our mission is? To make disciples of who? Of all nations. That word nations in the Greek is ethnos, from which we get the word ethnicity, and he's saying, make sure that you're making disciples of every ethnic group on the planet. Reach everybody. He even laid out a strategy for us in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in the cluster of people that you already know and like and understand. That's not what it says. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's your hometown, in Judea, that's the surrounding areas, in Samaria, that's across cultural lines and barriers, all the way to the ends of the earth. Guys, whether you're reaching across the oceans or across the street, if we're going to be a bridge to racial reconciliation, we've got to learn from Jesus' example, and we've got to accept his mission. My challenge to you simply is this. Sometimes it's easier to reach, to write a check for someone who's reaching another culture on the other side of the world than it is to reach a hand across the street to your neighbor. I am the bridge. You are the bridge.
we are the bridge. The third piece is that we have to embrace Jesus' prayer. Embrace Jesus' prayer. John 17, you're familiar with this. We talked about it again just a few weeks ago, just kind of cementing our thoughts on this. My prayer, Jesus prayed. This is, of course, is just before he goes uh, to the cross, just before he goes into those all-night illegal trials where he's beaten and ultimately gave his life for us. He's praying that intense prayer prayer just before that. And he said, my prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't know if you're following what he's saying or not, but he's, he's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about a cookie cutter kind of thing. We all come from different gifts and talents and, and gender and culture and backgrounds and all that kind of diversity is a reality of the world. He's not saying make them cookie cutter identical. He's saying that the world will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and will come to him when, he rec when they recognize that the body of Christ is unified, everyone working together. I'm saying to you that it's, it may be the one prayer that Jesus prayed while here that is yet to be answered, and it won't be answered until we embrace that prayer and make it our own. I read a story just this past week, 1953. Some of you weren't alive in 53. I recognize that, but uh, maybe you know the history. Uh, this is three years before Martin Luther King made his speech. This is in 64. This is, you know, 11 years before the Civil Rights Act. So before this became a, a big piece of, of American culture, Billy Graham stunned the crusade team in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when in a planning meeting before his crusade, he told them that he was against segregated seating at his crusades. And he said, I, I won't preach unless you break down that segregation. And, uh, and sure enough, that they, so they agreed. That first night of the crusade, he gets up, and sure enough, the ropes are in place and the separations are there. And Mr. Graham walked off of the stage down to the floor personally, and he took the ropes down and said, I will not be preaching tonight if you put these ropes back up again. Now, that may not seem like a really big deal in 2020, but in 1953, I need you to understand what Billy was doing. He was putting his future ministry on the line to say it's time that Jesus' prayer be answered, Father, make them one. And it's time for us to stretch outside our comfort zones and take some risks in order for that to happen. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by all this men, by, by, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you look alike, dress alike, smell alike, worship alike, what? Love one another. Who's the one another's? It's, it's, the, it's the every nation. It's the, it's the every ethnos. It's the people he said in Matthew 28 that we're supposed to go reach. So let me ask you this. Is it easier to reach people of similar views and values and background? Is it easier to love people of similar views and backgrounds than it is somebody across? Yeah, it's easier. That's why it's so tempting just to prejudge and make decisions and put up barriers. 
It's harder to break out of our comfort zones. It's harder to be intentional about building relationships with folks that, that don't understand some of the things we're talking about and we don't understand what they're talking about. That takes real effort. It takes a real determination to listen and learn more than we talk and instruct. That's a challenge. I was bringing a message similar to this several years ago in my previous church, and I had a staff pastor that came to me after church in tears. And he said, Pastor, I'm sitting in this congregation this morning listening to you preach, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Rick, you're a racist. And uh, he said, I, I, just, I just need to confess it to you. And I said, well, you need to confess it to God, not me. But yeah, I'll pray with you. He said, okay. And so he said, God, I'm a racist. And I don't want to be a racist. Forgive me. You said to show favoritism is a sin. Forgive me of that sin of prejudice and racism. Help me to break free from this thing. And then he came back to me the next day and he said, you know, I've been thinking and praying all day Sunday. And, and, and pastor, I, I need about six weeks off. Can, can you give me a sabbatical? If you can't pay me during that period, I got it. Just, I, I need a sabbatical. I said, what's going on, Rick? He said, I, I, I need to do something about this. So he went to a predominantly black church right down the road from us, and he presented himself to the pastor. And he said he walked in and sat down, and, and uh, pastor said to him, how can I help you? He said, well, I've just come to confess. I'm a racist, and I don't want to be. He submitted himself to that pastor's leadership, mentorship for six weeks, attended church in that church for six weeks while he began to listen and learn and break the back of some of the prejudice that had been drilled into him and he had accepted that he didn't even realize he'd accepted and now he had to unlearn what he thought he knew in order to get where he needed to get to be the kind of person that Jesus called him to be. Um, Last I heard, Rick was a missionary to Chad in Northern Africa. I'm not saying you got to go to mission, go to the mission field to do this, but I mean, I don't consider myself a racist by any means. Kim and I have spent most of our adult lives involved in cross-cultural ministry, both in the States and, and, and around the world. But, you know, in recent seasons with all the things that are going on in our nation, I've begun to say, okay, Lord, what do I not know that I need to know? What do I need to do in order to be the bridge and not be a barrier builder? And I build a relationship with a, a black pastor in Goldsboro, and, and we've connected, and we've had lunch together, and we've worshiped together. We did a joint worship night online here, and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, having fun. We're enjoying each other. But every now and then I'd say, Pastor Nick, you know I need you to teach me what I don't know. It's okay. You teach me, I'll teach you. And so it's become this relationship to help understand what's going on. But specifically, Nick, I need to know what's going on in the racial tensions from your perspective. I got mine. I want yours. You see, what I'm saying simply is that if we're going to do something about this, if we're actually going to make Jesus' prayer our prayer, we're going to put legs on our prayers and be intentional about I want us to be one. The only way we're going to be the bridge to racial reconciliation is if we learn from his example, we accept his mission, we embrace his prayer, and then finally adopt Jesus' mindset, adopt his mindset. Last Sunday, Pastor Luke 
did a phenomenal job of sharing this with us. He didn't know the detail of where we were going, and I didn't know what he was going to preach. I said, uh, Pastor, you, just, you follow uh, whatever the Lord leads you to talk about. That's what I want you to talk about. Next Sunday, Kim and I took a little break, got a little downtime, uh, spent some time with our grandkids, which was a real neat thing. Missed you guys, but so glad uh, that I was able to do that and able to watch online while we were out of town. But one of the things, and I'm not going to re-preach his message, don't worry, but uh, he did a fine job. I don't need to. But one of the things he told us is that your mindset, your attitudes, is shaped by where your mind is set. Your mindset is set where, is shaped by where your mind is set. He also told us from Philippians 2 that I talked to you about this morning that adopting Jesus' mindset is to set our minds on unselfishness, to set our minds on humility, to set our minds on, on sacrifice. And I know those are, not, those are not words that people like to talk about these days, even in Christian circles and in the church. And if I'm honest, I'd rather talk about God's blessings and God's favor and the wonderful things that happen when you give your life to Jesus Christ and the sense of purpose and fulfillment and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, I love talking about those subjects, healthy relationships, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, guys, The one we serve didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He didn't come to be blessed. He came to be a blessing. He didn't come to get. He came to give. And ultimately, if you read on in Philippians 2, you see that he gave it all. Gave up the glories of heaven, took on the form of a man, took on the form of a servant, served all the way to death. Death on the cross, the most horrific form of death on planet earth at the time. He unselfishly humbled himself, the scriptures say, and sacrificed for us. So adopting his mindset is going to include unselfishness and humility and sacrifice. It's going to include sacrificing time <coughs> to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. It's going to sacrifice making your point to listening to somebody else's point. It's going to mean sacrificing some material desires in order to fund and finance the ministries that are specifically aimed at being the bridge. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about what it means to be the bridge. We'll be coming to you every week with, with people like David and Robin and others who are on the front lines of doing what we believe God's called us to do. Next week, we're going to be talking about being the bridge to the fatherless, and then we'll be talking about being the bridge to the poor and being the bridge to, to the lonely. We'll talk about these things, and, but at the end of the day, this is a practical nuts and bolts kind of series that helps us to stop and think, who are we for real? One of the biggest churches in eastern North Carolina, whoop-de-doo, Tell me I haven't given 
40 none of your business years. Luke said 50 last year. He's wrong. I've got a bone to pick with him. It's still 40 none of your business. For six more weeks, it's 40 none of your business. <laughs> I haven't given 50 years of my life to count how many people showed up on a Sunday morning. Please tell me I haven't done that. You haven't sacrificially given and served and worked so that we can be the biggest church in town. That's not why we do what we do. We do what we do because that's who Jesus is. We serve the way we serve because that's who Jesus is. We give as we give because that's who Jesus is. On the first Sunday in October, the annual event, if you've been here long, you know, we, we look forward to this day. It's an exciting day uh, every year in the life of our church as we prayerfully consider for a month uh, about bringing an offering fit for a king. And on October 4th, we'll be bringing our offering fit for a king this year. And I'm expecting God to do amazing things in your life and through the funds that will be raised to be the bridge in this community. That, that offering has grown year by year by year. Last year, we broke out all the records. I mean, we've been in the $250,000 range for the last few years. Last year, you guys gave $335,000 to the offering fit for a king on a single day. I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not even concerned with the numbers other than what we can do with it. I am concerned with us embracing adopting, accepting the mindset of Jesus Christ. There's a picture I'll leave you with this morning. We'll close. I've read it to you before, but I'll read it again. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Jesus has come now, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's sitting on the throne, the only one worthy to open the seals and declare these are the names written in the Lamb's book of life and all the ten thousands upon ten thousands of saints across the ages have gathered to sing. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation. What's that word nation in the Greek? Ethnos, ethnicity, every people, every ethnicity, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. America needs somebody to be a bridge builder. I'm the bridge. You're the bridge. We're the bridge. Let's pray. <laughs> I realize there may some, maybe some sitting here right now or watching online who you haven't taken the first critical step and that is to make Jesus Christ your Savior, your Lord, to say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe your sacrifice was for me and I accept what you did for me. Thank you for forgiveness and a fresh start. Give me a new life today. The Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Maybe, maybe you recognize during the course of this message today that you're carrying some prejudice. 
or at least you've not been intentional about addressing your role in racial reconciliation, and the Lord's convicting your heart. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but it hasn't, hasn't reached into your heart in terms of being a bridge builder instead of a barrier builder. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're just taking the first step now or this is a giant step forward to being like Christ, would you pray a prayer with me? Jesus, thank you for role modeling bridge building for us. Now help us to break free from our own humanity, our own flesh, our own prejudices and the stereotypes that we've been taught to be your hands and feet until you come. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the fulfillment that comes from having made the effort. Holy Spirit, would you give us the will and the ability to step out? In Jesus' name, amen. Father, you know who's praying, you know what's going on in their hearts. Speak life new life into each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You that have been watching online, please let us know. You can text uh, to us at 55498. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. You that are in the room can send me that text as well. You got on the digital connect card. You can let us know. You just let somebody know before you leave here today. If you prayed that prayer, there's a bunch of us around here. love nothing better than to pray with you help you establish the decision that you've just made. Find somebody that you trust to have this conversation and pray the prayer of agreement. Lord, I'm going to be a bridge builder to racial reconciliation. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.